Welcome to a very, very special episode. This is part of our online education course to accelerate your path forward in regenerative food and agriculture. To help you accelerate your understanding of the complexities of the current food and agriculture system and what broad and deep regeneration can do and what makes it so relevant and interesting. Focusing on what your role can be in this transition, what companies need to be built, what investments need to be made if you're in the position and what other roles you can play if you happen to work in big food and big ag that are in desperate need of transition. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the links in the description. Part of this lecture, what is regenerative agriculture and food? We have a friend of the show joining, Ethan Soloviev, for a conversation. We tackle that elephant immediately, talk about why that is the wrong question to ask and what are the four paradigms of agriculture. And of course, if you know Ethan and myself, we talk about a lot more. So enjoy. Welcome to a very special episode. We have a friend of the show, probably the one who has been here the most with the newsrooms we've recorded many years ago with a number of iterations and now back, Ethan Soloviev. Welcome. So glad to be here. Great to see you. And we're going to go a bit back to the basics. Um, I think many people might remember, and if you're new to this uh, to this topic, uh, you might have stumbled upon it or you've seen it in uh, the video course where this part is definitely part of. Uh, which is the continuum. I, I keep using it and sending it to people, uh, but I'm going to take a step back and actually introduce you properly, as many people maybe think Ethan Soloviev. Who is Ethan Soloviev and what brings you to the space? I know you're a farmer, you work with How Good with a lot of large companies, and you were one of the founders of TerraGenesis, which I think has been in the space for the longest. Um, so where would you like to start with an introduction? When, when you normally introduce yourself and somebody sits next to you at the dinner party, what do you, what do you say? Uh, I usually do, I usually ask them about them. I don't I don't talk about myself if I can at all avoid it. So or, or I'll ask about their family or their kids. I'm a dad now. That's a big new part of my life since we initially uh, started talking. I have you know a six year old and a one year old. And wow, talk about regeneration and growth and the evolution of capacity in a system. Just you know engage with the children. It's amazing. It's amazing. So. That's a big part of who I am. Um, I also love getting to watch them on the farm, right? My six-year-old, she's like caught a lamb coming out of her mom, you know, in the cold winter mornings as the lambs are being born. My one-year-old is just like up. Her first word was blueberry, right? She's always like trying to get up into the apple tree. Impressive. She basically calls pretty much anything that's like round and about hand size an apple. So that's like the eggs coming from the chickens. She calls that an apple. Well, we've just got our hardy kiwi starting to fruit. She calls that an apple. So, um, you know, being on the farm to raise kids, we have a small commercial operation of state New York, mostly selling locally, 16 acres of apples, um, shiitake mushrooms, grass-fed sheep and lamb. And then there's a number of other farmers who live and work and have their livelihoods on our farm, growing vegetables and flowers and bees and chickens and ducks. Um, so it's a multi-enterprise, small-scale, aiming for regeneration farm in the Hudson River Valley of New York. Um, all of that helps me to um, source directly from living systems, directly from a place, in order to do the incredible work that um, How Good does. Uh, How Good's the world's largest product and ingredient sustainability database. Uh, we have a software platform that enables people at the largest companies in the world and the smallest 
food companies at the world to understand the impacts of their products. What's the carbon footprint? What's the biodiversity impact? What's the labor risk? What's the water? What's the soil health? And like, how do you take all that and then innovate and improve and decrease your carbon footprint or get to net positive? And so our software platform helps to automate that using artificial intelligence and human intelligence, probably more of course, human everybody intelligence. Everybody has to use AI. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, we work with six of the biggest food companies in the world and many retailers and ingredient suppliers. Um, so that's where I'm really focusing my energy now because it seems like we can't just have regenerative agriculture. If we're going to move the world, we need regenerative food systems. And this feels like a, a perfect place with the data, the best data in the world to help people make decisions to move in that direction. Yeah. So dear, dear listeners, I mean, uh, if you're part of the, of the course, we probably send you out right now to either garden or walk or go for a run or do something not in front of the screen. Um, I hope also if you're listening to this as the podcast version, you're doing that uh, and not uh, being somewhere inside, but I think it's safe to say. Well, we, you will understand now why we, ha we asked Ethan to uh, do a big part of this introduction piece, um, as he bridges the, the, the land and the, uh, let's say office building or, uh, and the head headquarter of, um, of large food companies. Um, and so when you walk into maybe one of those headquarters or when somebody asks you, uh, the very obvious but very difficult question to answer, I think, for many people listening as well, they've had this question and then sort of struggled, also maybe at those dinner, par dinner parties. What do you say when somebody asks, what, what is regenerative agriculture? I've heard it somewhere, but I don't really understand what it is. And uh, how do you make sure you don't go into a two-hour monologue asking for a friend? <laughs> so it's very similar to the first question you asked me about how do I introduce myself? I don't actually launch in with what regenerative agriculture is. I say, oh, interesting. Where, where did you hear that? And wh what, what do you do again at the company? And what are you looking after? And, um, you know, have you been on any of the farms that you're sourcing from? So I'll learn a little bit about who I'm speaking to because the response I give needs to be just like agriculture, just like regeneration, needs to be keyed into the context right? It needs to be designed to land in the right place, not where someone's at. I never recommend meeting people where they're at. I always try to meet people like three to five steps ahead of where they're at, right? So that they can get a sense of, of motion and pull and movement and intrigue. So that's all really important before diving in on what is regenerative agriculture. So wh where they're at? So how would you do that? How, how do you, when you say four, five, six, seven steps, is that literally figuratively what what do you how do you i listen nudge for, people to the edge yeah i listen for the word that they use to describe what they think about agriculture and i use the four paradigms of agriculture that um have laid out in a in a paper i'm sure you can link as a resource to kind of hear absolutely like what they're what they're thinking about are they saying well it's really all about efficiency and reducing you know reducing the inputs and and harm if I hear that sort of language, I think, okay, they're coming from this conservative, this do less harm paradigm. How do I Which is bring the first paradigm, basically? Uh, second, we, uh, second we, after the second one, sorry. If, if what they're saying is, well, look, we just really got to make more money out of our farmers. And I've heard regenerative agriculture can get them to produce more. So, like, can you tell to me how to do that? Even more. Right. So, you listen for where they're at. And then I try to bring a perspective, not that I'm right. I, again, I never think that any of these are, are right or even better. 
but I try to bring a perspective that will be disruptive, that will be like an, a, a next step beyond what they're currently seeing in order to open a space where something new could sprout. And so that's a good bridge. It's a great bridge um, to, I think, where many people come from in the agriculture and food space. Let's just, not let's just, I'm doing just definitely between echoes because none of this is easy. None of this is is, uh, is a walk in a park, but let's do less, less harm. Let's reduce the, the damage because we can all, I think, safely see um, the, the immense machine we have created in the world food and agriculture system, which is extremely good at what we gave it to do, which is produce as many calories, not looking at any externalities, positive or negative. Um, and then many people come to the conclusion, okay, we need to reduce that because the externalities, the negative ones are just getting completely out of control, either of health, environmental, social, pick your one, probably it's being damaged severely by our food and agriculture system, but it's feeding most of significant part of the world. So when, when people are on that level of, or that paradigm of, of agriculture and want to reduce, how do you trigger them to, to not open their mind, but you said, like, how do you, you trigger them to, to see something or to think of something they might not have thought about before when they, when they approach you? So uh, this might be a place that I would bring the continuum, uh, this impact spectrum, we sometimes call it. And I would start with, you know, what they see and understand. I would say, look, imagine a line and on one end of the line, there is the extractive, the damaging, the degenerative agriculture that you know about, right? Because you've seen the harm it can do to people, to indigenous people, uh, to all people, to anyone working in the fields. You've seen the damage it does to biodiversity and the deforestation and the eutrophication of the waterways. And, you know, a lot of agriculture has been that at least, you know, since World War II, but even a, a good ways before that, there's a lot of damage being done. That's one end of the spectrum. That's, that's degenerative. And then you can move sort of up the spectrum. And this is some of what you're talking about right now. How do we do less harm? How do we use less fertilizers, you know, per, uh, per kilo or per metric ton of yield? How do we put a more efficient, you know, water and irrigation system, drip irrigation, so you're not flooding, you're not using as much water? How do we improve our uh, efficiency of our crops through different choices or different breeds? And agriculture has done a lot in this in the last 20 years, especially. We've been moving towards sustainable agriculture. We've been moving towards this middle point, this midpoint, this sort of like, if we could keep reducing harm, just like you're saying and aiming to do in your systems, then we could get to like, do no harm. We could get to the get to zero. middle of the spectrum, get to zero, get to net zero. And that would be a great thing. And we should stop it. We should stop deforestation. But is that, is that enough? Like if you, I don't know, if somebody asked you like, how's your relationship with your spouse, your significant other, how's that relationship right now? And you said, it's no harm. sustainable. It's about net zero, right? Is that really what we're oh, going for? That would not be. That would be a good opening at a at a dinner or party, but then you'd be in a very different conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a whole bunch of parallels we can draw between human relationships between each other and really human relationships with Earth. And so, if you want to be in a sustainable John net Kemp zero keeps relationship, regeneration starts with restoring relationships between us, plants, trees, animals. Soil, yeah, but and even restoring, even restoring. Check it out. The thing with restoring. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. You tell me. Good point. Restoring What's the difference what? between rest exactly yeah. restore to what? Restore to, to some past zero. state. Zero. We go still to zero, which is not Ex so relevant. <laughs> which is not enough. So restoring takes a point of view that in the past we had something better, and so we just have to restore it to the 
you know, before colonization happened here or before the ice age or whatever it was, you're restoring it to some hypothetical, you know, past. So what makes regeneration different, asking from a non-native speaker? It's in the etymology of the word. Generation, generate, has to do with birth. It has to do with born anew, create anew. So to regenerate is to actually create something that has not been before. That's why we can't go back to any former way of farming or agriculture or not even, or beyond farming or agriculture to a semi-nomadic gatherer, hunter. Like we, we're not going back. We need to regenerate what is new for this time, for these people, for this company, for what you have to do. That's regeneration. And so then you start to step over the midline. Right? Then you start to add value, you go into that net positive territory on the spectrum where you're not just stopping deforestation, you're increasing the size of the Amazon rainforest, not just stopping it being cut down. You're not just like using less water, you're having any dirty, you know, polluted water that comes into your farm actually get cleaned as it goes through your process and leave as beautiful, clean drinking water. You're not just getting people to a, a minimum wage, a sort of net zero, yeah, they can barely make it. You're actually lifting them up and supporting their agency, their self-determination, their sovereignty with regards to food and culture and spirituality and like giving them a, 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 not you can't give it to them, but supporting them to have a very full, big life. So this is, we're stepping over into the realm. We're heading beyond sustainable at the midpoint and towards regeneration. And you can apply this to any part of agriculture. You can look at soils, we can look at trees. We can look at you know, water, we can look at inputs and say, what does it look like on this spectrum as you move away from degeneration and towards regeneration? And you can apply it outside of food and agriculture as well. And so just for people to have this visually, and of course, we'll link to the continuum below. Also, we'll talk about why you're using it less and less, um, but why still, I think visually, it's such a powerful um, it's basically a big arrow with two points on both sides. And one side is a really extractive degenerative side where some places of a system might be, some other pieces might be not so much. And on the other side, it gets in this case greener and, and more on the regenerative side. Somewhere in the middle is that weird sustainable zero point where we would never be or stay as well, because why would you stay there? But it's, it's a movement. It's a continuum. And regeneration is a verb and not a thing or a destination. And I think there are many people get like, are you regen? Like that's already, are you a regenerative farmer? Or are you? That's the wrong question. That's right. Not, yes or no. Anytime you get yes, into that, anytime you get into that binary. Is this regenerative peanut butter? No, I don't know. Like, doesn't like, <laughs> well, what do you even mean by what is your concept of regenerative? Mean, it, it really triggers a lot of questions, but it also is an impossible one to answer because it just, it is a continuum and it's never done first of all. We don't even know what lies beyond there. Like we're really not in the dark, but like this is this is a, a much longer thing, much more a marathon than, than a sprint and definitely not a, an easy destination to, to reach. So I just want to put it out there. I know we're going to overload people with a lot of things, but so we're moving beyond that zero point, even if we could, that sustainable piece and going into a lot of these things you mentioned of the cleaning the water and the social piece and the spiritual piece, how do you make sure it doesn't sound too too good to be true, first of all, and like sort of in this naive la-la land that sometimes we get sucked into, which is great, but if you're having to make a case in a big company or an investment case or something, then you don't want to be put in that corner of the naive. Um, we already talked about, we're not going back to anything, this is going forward, but still you want to make sure it's sort of grounded in um, that, that 
people can grasp it or connect to it or somehow um, not like push it away as a, a, a nice faraway dream, but we'll just, we, we will never get there. Let's, let's not even talk about it. Let's just get to reducing chemical fertilizer, reduce the, the harm. Like, how do you make sure we, we get out of that naivety corner? I think part of what the continuum does is it helps people zoom out from where they're currently stuck and see a more whole picture. It helps them see what could be beyond what their current target or goal is. And that's really useful because then it's not necessarily like sometimes I don't fully describe the spectrum. I just give the basics and I say, what would it look like for your company, for your part of the business to go beyond sustainable? Like what exists over on that end? So people start to actually build their own bigger mental model and map. And then if you say, okay, and, and would that, how would that be useful? How would that be valuable for your company if you had incredibly more resilient farmers economically and in terms of the soil to the climate change disruptions that are already happening and are going to get worse and worse? What would that do for you as a company? They go, oh, wow, that might, you know, that would actually significantly reduce the, the volatility and variability in what we're going to be paying and having supply disruptions and shortages. That does sound good. I can see a way that I would move towards it. So, Part of it is that I don't paint a picture and evangelize and tell people that they should go there. I help them ground themselves. Just like when you get someone out on a farm, which is a really good idea for any individual or Please company do. or organization that you want to work with, just to like get their CEO or CPO or COO or CFO or you know their executive director or whoever it is who's influential in the company and get them in a living eco-social system, get them on a farm that's moving towards regeneration that in itself will do a, do a huge amount of movement because then they can image with their own eyes, they can smell with their nose, they can taste the food, and that becomes something to step towards and, and go towards. That's more effective than naively selling some dream future because then it's your dream future and it won't connect with them. They have to understand what it means for them, how it could benefit them in order to have the continuing will to move towards it. And so how important has it been that you're operating your, not your own, because there's a whole ecosystem uh, on it, uh, around it, underneath, et cetera, but that you're operating from, let's say, uh, a working commercial farm, as you mentioned. It's How huge. important has it been for you? Ah, uh, so, I mean, sometimes if it's- Apart a, from that, you get amazing food and your children <laughs> are playing outside all the time and getting amazing food. I mean, that, that everybody understands the basics are very key here, but let's say in your how good life, et cetera, how does that um, help you? It's incredibly important because I can speak with a level of groundedness and reality that is beyond a good idea, like you were talking about, a sort of a naive vision idea, but also beyond a financial business pitch that I'm just trying to make money for myself or my company. I mean, when I leave the farm sometimes, if I'm going on a, you know, a significant business trip where I am going to be stepping into that boardroom or I'm going to be, you know, at stage at a, at the climate conference or at Davos or something like that. I'll always try to take something from my farm, like a, um, a little mint leaf or an acorn nut or some little thing. And I'll like tuck it in my, in the breast pocket of my, <laughs> of my jacket. <laughs> yeah. Right. To have it, to get a little whiff of, oh, this is what regeneration might look like in this place. And I can remember that. And so when I walk into those scenarios, uh, I am I am whole. I am not a segregated, split out person trying to do a business thing over here and something else over there in my farm. I am whole and and I don't know. I, uh, does that really do anything? 
I think it does. How good is growing incredibly quickly in the world? It's not, of course, just me, but then other people in the company also like many times people come to this company like to get a job and then they start a garden or, you know, one person came and then left and started their own food, food business. Another guy planted a, an agroforestry coffee farm in, in, uh, in Brazil in the backyard in like 200 square meters that had like 57 different species of herbal and medicinal plants in it that he didn't have before joining Howgood. So like there's something that happens here where the reality of regeneration can be seen and that infuses everything we do out into the world with what it's gonna take on this difficult path to move into regenerative agriculture and regenerative food systems. And what do you say, I mean, you're on stage, you're, you're having a lot of conversations on, on this techno optimism. We'll get to the levels of, of regenerative agriculture. I think that part of the answer is there. And when people are really in the, let's intensify as much as possible. I think eco-modernism is another term for that and somehow put the regeneration piece or regen ag in that corner of, again, the anti-science, the romantic, the low yielding, sorry. Often it's like this, this, uh, okay, if you're going into any kind of sustainability direction, by definition, you're producing less and we're producing more. So you're starving people. That's sort of the very basic discussion there. And, and so we need more land. And like, how do you, when, when somebody throws that curveball at you, what, what do you um, what do you normally say or how do you counter that or not even counter what questions do you then throw back with I'm imagining that your normal response is asking questions what context what what questions do you uh, do you ask back to somebody that that throw those, throws those uh, those curveballs at you now this one I'll just fire right back at them this is just at this point in time it's like that was a cute perspective you know 10 years ago um, but now that you have the largest food companies in the world and the largest even chemical companies in the world putting their money in the basket of regenerative agriculture and talking about the benefits that it's creating for large and small farmers around the world, th that argument is just not really tenable anymore. Like it's not anti-science. It's, it's not low yielding. Right. You can listen to John Kempf about this. He and I had a great conversation where he was like, there's no yield drop if you switch to regenerative agriculture. That's just bad agronomy. Like if you've got good agronomy that is tuned into regenerative agriculture, you don't have the yield drop. You maintain yields and build soil health and build the potential for high, higher yields down the road. So, um, you know, I would also Bastation, say. Bastation, not, not interesting or not relevant anymore as a, as a point 10 years ago, maybe. Yes. I think that there's like. In, look, part of that argument came because there was 15 years of intensive research, millions, probably billions of dollars that went into focus on industrial, mechanized, you know, conventional, uh, input-heavy agriculture. But the interesting piece, when you say it like that, like it sort of, it suggests as a narrative that this is not industrial, not mechanized, which I just want to put out there, can absolutely be. Like yeah. the extracted, like that's the, that's no, an interesting no, I'm just, because sort of I'm, in our mind we go, okay, so the other side must be hand. Nope, that's um, wrong. Hand. You didn't quite catch the, the angle. So I'm telling the story of why people got to the thought that regenerative agriculture wasn't this, which is so much effort in that space generated a huge amount of yield, a huge productivity. But now some of that same research money, some of that same focus with some of those same systems 
are beginning to turn towards regenerative agriculture. And the expanses that we're having there, the growth that's happening at the large scale and at the small scale are really powerful and significant. So regenerative agriculture is not about what size farming you do. It's not about whether you're hand tools or gigantic tractor. It's not about where you are in the world. It is about how you generate outcomes in the farming system you have. And those outcomes are economic. They are yield. They are also ecological and cultural and social. And so regenerative agriculture looks at what outcomes do we generate, not the, not even the practices, right? That's one of the reasons that the continuum that I did is, is cool and it's useful. It's good to see and understand, but it also isn't enough because I preset what I thought some of the practices were along that continuum more than a decade ago now. And actually they all hold pretty true. So that's a good, you know, indicator of, I was a, a bit ahead at that point. And it wasn't just me. I learned from others in doing that. Um, but also it's not quite enough because practices, there are no regenerative agriculture practices, right? There, there's only outcomes that we're aiming for. And farmers get the creativity in collaboration with their supply system and with their downstream partners and customers. They should get the freedom to figure out what practices, what behaviors, what approaches are going to work in order to achieve these regenerative outcomes in the system. So now, I mean, I hear there a thing like a narrative where very early we, we, are very early in terms of of even knowing what um what agriculture systems with this new focus could look like in terms of yield in terms of um like the research that's being put into it has yielded enormous like that kind of energy and resources have yielded enormous outcome in the in the industrial ag um, extractive side and now we're starting to put that into um into regenerative and we're early on in terms of even what, what's the potential in terms of biomass or biodiversity, in terms of nutrient density, in terms of a lot of things. But, and then let's go back to, you said we, the continuum holds, um, holds up pretty well, but you're, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned you use more and more the four levels of regenerative agriculture and the different paradigms. Um, let's unpack them a bit more and, and see what you, um, why you started using that more, because it feels sort of like the continuum, but any 3D. Like we add a yeah. level of, uh, um, of complexity to it, which definitely like read the continuum first, uh, get, get comfortable with that. But there, there are some more layers to it now, or at least that's how you, uh, how you at the moment describe it. Definitely. And I want to just go back one minute before we do that, because it, you said something like we're early in it. I think we're early in large scale industrial agriculture, turning its attention to regen. However, that's not the only form of regenerative agriculture. And it's important to point out that regenerative agriculture, the best, the, the most well-known and ancient forms of it far predate modern agriculture, even the advent of modern tillage agriculture 10,000 years ago. Regenerative agriculture lived with indigenous communities and still does with some of those same communities to this very day, but it doesn't look necessarily like what large-scale monoculture industrial agriculture looks like. So regenerative agriculture can have a great diversity. You can have a small-scale vegan farm that's doing regenerative agriculture. You can have a mid-scale organic market garden. You can have, you know, regenerative rangeland grazing, whether that's in the what's now called the United States or it's Maasai herders in Kenya, right, who have been doing it for generations. So there are many forms of regenerative agriculture. And one of the things we have to, or one of the things I invite you all who are listening to this 
to be aware of and push back against is any sort of um, purity or fundamentalism about what regenerative agriculture is, because that actually kills the diversity that we need. It kills the diversity of the world to say there's only one way and it's my way. And there's only one regenerative agriculture and it has to be X, it has to be organic or it has to be no-till or it has to be whatever. That's, that's going to um, it has to be good biochar. Come on, <laughs> exactly. Ethan, give me biochar. And an herb yeah. spiral, goddammit, right? Like whatever the thing is. Of course. Like <laughs> that, that's, that is not the right approach. That is not a biodiverse regenerating our thinking approach. And so we have it to look at- It does mess to begin with. Yeah. We, we, exactly. We have to look at the diversity going forward. We can't have a fundamentalist mind about what regeneration is and try to wall it off because to your point there, like- that is the mentality that got us into where we are right now. And so we have to break that while also working hard to uphold the integrity of what regenerative agriculture is and can be, and to make sure we're focusing on outcomes, on what is actually happening. And not just like improving outcomes a little bit, but actually getting towards the point where it's net zero, actually getting beyond carbon neutral and towards carbon sequestering, towards biodiversity enhancing, not just like there's a little more biodiversity in my big monoculture field. So now it's regenerative, right? It's like we have to keep pushing for that regenerative end of the spectrum while also supporting many at different scales with different approaches on their path towards it. Okay, so you want to loop us back to our paradigms question now that we touched that? Absolutely. Point? Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely want because that's that touches exactly the paradigms and the context of whoever is listening in whatever context um, and, and how, what is a logical next step or what would be a next paradigm for them. So we, we started with, um, you mentioned them at the beginning, let's say if, if somebody, when you ask a few questions, responds to that with, um, I, I want to reduce um, my negative impact, I want to um, focus on that, et cetera. That's, that's one paradigm. Of course, we have the, the extreme extractive one. I just want to make as much money as possible. That's sort of the first. And then what are the others? Like, well, let's walk us through the different um, The four the different that I've here, and I'll just note, these are not the only four. There's probably ones, so I don't know, at a different level lower, and there's probably ones beyond the four that I've named. So it's just useful to note that, like, we've got a map, but the map may be bigger. Um, so, you know, like my daughter, my six-year-old daughter said to me yesterday when she got home from school and being out, out on a hike she was on, she said, do you know we're in outer space? And this, just this concept of like, there could be something so much bigger than what we're currently holding and looking at. I just want to put that sense of awe forward here that like, yeah, I've got four paradigms that I've articulated. They come primarily from my work with Carol Sanford and her work on regenerative business. Um, but there's probably more beyond this. So we've got the extractive, we've got the conservative uh, next, uh, there is a pretty significant shift. We sort of pass through and over what would some might call sustainable or circular. A lot of people go for the circular thing of like, you just go around in a circle. Um, I think circular is really funny because circular, like the circular community figure, circular economy community figured out that like they didn't quite have it nailed for natural systems. And so then they started using the term regenerative and say, oh, well, to be circular, actually you have to be regenerative towards nature. So they like, I think that's a funny kind of midpoint. But above that, there's um, there's what I call net positive or net contributive. So this is where you get to the sense of we can't just do less harm. We have to do good. 
You can't just, you know, emit carbon dioxide. You need to capture carbon and put it into the soil. You can't just, um, what example have we not used yet? You can't just like do uh, less harm to animals in the terms of animal welfare. You have to give them a life that is as close as possible to uh, what their natural wild existence was. So we're moving into this place where you're adding value to the farm, to the system through what you're doing. That's net positive. And that's great. We should all be doing it. All these levels are great. All of them have their value and importance in the, in the system. When you get to the fourth level that I've named uh, regenerative, here our focus goes beyond the farm itself. It goes beyond the individual good that you're doing. And it says, how do we regenerate the whole system that we're part of? How do we involve the capacity, not just of my farm, but of all farms in the region and all buyers of food in the region so that they can see and hear and understand what regeneration could be like? How do we express the unique essence of this place? Not just like, how do I make this a carbon capturing farm that's do good, that's, you know, net positive paradigm, but what is unique about this farm and this bioregion, this bioregional fingerprint? What is the terroir of this place? And how do I express that uniquely through the goods, through the crops, through the ingredients that are being produced from here? Now we're getting into the realm of regeneration, where you start to have larger systemic effects and you're never thinking uh, of yourself or of your place, but in the nested whole system that you're part of and can touch and move through the agriculture that you do. And just to give an impression, like when you're talking, working with these bigger companies, um, where do you feel most people are? What are most of your conversations and work around? Because it feels like the, the, the fourth level or the last one you described, I don't want to name them or number them because there are multiple there and I don't want to go below zero. That would be weird. Um, like how, how are we mapped on the space? Like the, the work you do or the, the space where we're in now, we actually had a few conversations and like uh, to to feel the space because we've both both been in it for quite a while. Where where do you feel we're at? Especially let's say large companies, uh, your daily lay work. Yeah, um, I guess I'll say there's great diversity, and that I embrace that diversity. It's important. We learn. Yeah, it's incredibly important because there are individuals inside of every company in the world, at least everyone that I've ever gotten into who really deeply care and are pushing their minds towards regeneration, towards that, you know, fourth paradigm or beyond. And um, that's not everybody inside of most companies. Some companies, it's, it's more and more. There's some companies that have uh, worked farthest in this realm. And you can see my interviews with them on, on how good's, you know, resources page or at the events that we do at, you know, at Climate Week or COP or etc. Like there are many who are thinking in a regenerative way. And there's still a lot of people who are extractive and are coming from a conservative paradigm. All of those are there. I think, you know, would I love there to be more in, in stepping to net positive and regenerative? Yes, of course. Uh, but I'm also not pushing and trying to get people there because you do not move people. You cannot move people. I guess I'll just say that. This is a premise. I don't think you can push someone to get to any level or another. I think the only way that I or that you or that anyone takes a step in, the, in what they're able to see and do in the world is if you invite them to see the whole map and ask them where they want to go and what it'll take to get there. They then have the, the potency to take the step. You also have to back them up with data, right? And I'm, you know, we're focusing on the, 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 
the practical philosophy of regeneration here, but also there's a lot of functional content and data and like you need the carbon footprint and you need to be able to track those outcomes for any farm uh, up to any product. You really need to be able to do it at a product level. So much of the whole corporate world is focused on this sort of top-down greenhouse gas accounting or biodiversity, you know, nature accounting that looks at like headquarters and your initial scopes one and two that you have control over. And then maybe finally slowly gets down to where all the impact lies, 90% of it in your, your scope three, you're far out. And how good thinks that's the wrong direction and that you actually should come from the individual products, the individual goods and build your way up to get a sense of the whole. So you know, we power all of the data and um, and all of the decision-making to help make that happen at companies large and small. Um, but you need that alongside an invitation to grow the paradigm you're working from. Everything will go faster if you can line them up together. And I want to be conscious of your time as well. So as a, as a final, I'm going to say final question, usually becomes a final set of questions. Um, You've been following very actively, actually, you've been participating in, in let's say, the regenerative movement, uh, whatever that means for, for quite a while. Um, are you, first, first part of the question, are you optimistic? And, and if so, what, what is different now uh, compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe? Wow. I mean, 20 years ago, it's a world of difference. So five years ago, even like, um, how good's uh, uh, now a member of multiple global coalitions who care about this and are focusing on this work? So there's the Sustainable Markets Initiative, uh, which is doing incredible work, put out a great report last year called Scaling Regenerative Farming that's freely available. And there's going to be another one coming out around the time of COP that's uh, an implement, more of an implementation plan. Uh, you know, that organization has companies that are 250 billion in annual revenue. We're part of it. We're also members of uh, WBCSD, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, who has a whole work stream on regenerative landscapes and, you know, scaling up agriculture. Plus the One Planet Business for Biodiversity Coalition. You know, I don't know the exact numbers. That probably has 400 billion in revenue companies that are part of it. So, like, this is a major going folk even the world economic forum is like starting to step in on soil health and regen ag so like there are big companies that are putting their smart people and their resources and their energy and their creativity into moving this at a scale that the world has never seen before it also needs the banks and the governments and the investors and philanthropic capital to come in and support the journey along the way and that's some of what's starting to happen i think the other thing that's different from five, five years ago is that it's not just carbon anymore. Like this isn't just a conversation in the business world. Thank God. Thank God's right. It's not, it's no longer just one thing. It's no, it's no longer Good, just girl, one, I know. God's, yeah. one, one God of carbon. Um, it's right. It's, it's a whole system. It's carbon, it's nature and it's human rights. And all of those are nested within each other. And we have to do all, and you have to have data for all of it. How good has from the beginning for 17 years now been pulling the data together for each of these different parts so that you can see it as one whole and make decisions that, you know, don't improve you on carbon, but screw you on biodiversity. And so I would say that's a, a major difference. The scale of effort that's going into it, the amount of financial capital flowing into it, the creativity in the current capitalist system uh, to work on it from, you know, biodiversity credits to, um, new laws that are like 
super stringent, like the EU deforestation law. I don't know if you looked into it, but like <laughs> companies who don't comply with this law, the, the, fees the are penalty are mad. It's four percent plus of your annual revenue in Europe if you're if you get caught out, and, you know, with any deforestation for six top commodities. So uh, there is a a rising to the difficult occasion that um, is good and is happening. Am I optimistic? I don't know. Climate change is moving faster than anyone thought. Antarctica, you know, is melting. The Mediterranean is boiling. Like the, I think a change that is just starting to happen that but we'll likely see more of and hear a lot about, you know, in Dubai this year um, is uh, getting adaptation as well supported and funded alongside the efforts towards mitigation. So we like, um, you should check out um, Probable Futures, I think is the name of the outfit, which basically says, look, it's not a green tech utopia where we're going to solve this. It's probably not the day after tomorrow global catastrophe, you know, that the media says it could be. It's probably going to be somewhere in between if you look probabilistically. And so that, that might not mean 1.5 degrees. It might mean two degrees or three degrees or four degrees warming. And so what's the world going to look like in that scenario? And they've got these great, this is public, you know, maps that you can see and download the data. Um, how are we going to adapt? How is agriculture going to adapt? How are we preparing for the changes that are most likely to come so that we can keep producing significant amounts of food and nutrition for the people of the world um, and on all the other beings of the world? So I think that is like I'm stepping a little beyond where much of the conversation is right now to say, here's what I think is important and what we should go towards. And, you know, we've got artificial intelligence to help us out with that now in a way that we never had before. Um, we've got uh, indigenous wisdom and leaders like stepping to the fore. They haven't gone away. They're here. They're being listened to like never before. And I think there's some converging forces that um, are important for us to pull all together into one whole system. So I don't know. I'm not pessimistic. I'm not sure I'm optimistic. It's going to be an interesting uh, next couple of decades. So many follow-up questions, but we're, we're not going to go there as uh, there will be a, a three-hour interview, which we'll, we'll do over time, where we have Ethan back uh, very regularly, which is amazing. But I want to ask from a very basic question, and you've seen that, and I know you've spoken about it, um, but on the consumer side or the customer side, I know some people hate the word consumer. Um, what have we seen there? Is that different now as well? Um, and or is that is a very generalized term? But do we see interest from people buying food for these kind of things? Very basic. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I generally think of them as citizens or eaters because usually when you say customer, that means something different to each step in the supply system. So. Um, but yes, the individuals who are eating food, uh, which also includes you and me and, and everyone I know of on the planet, um, there is motion towards more regenerative. Most people don't know about regenerative, but anyone who learns about regenerative immediately wants more of it. It's so much sexier than sustainable. Organic right? like, or something. Yeah. yeah, regenerative is just like, it's such, it's a great story. And so you're seeing the brands that move towards regeneration, they're doing well in the marketplace. Um, you're seeing companies that are more transparent, even if they're not regenerative yet, but they're um, yet, as if you could ever get there. Um, but even if they're on their journey and they're just starting their journey, being transparent and telling the story along the way is working. We just did a just one example, and there's a press release out about this. Um, 
we worked with a really great company, SES Imago Tag, who has these electronic shelf labels in the grocery store. So instead of just like a paper tag, it's electronic, still much lower energy usage, but it's also very creative. It can like, it can know who you are as you walk into a store with your cell phone and that you like regenerative beef or regenerative mushrooms. And or it can highlight it in the sh- in Exactly. The it can somewhere. blink a little wow. LED so it shows you where it is so you can walk towards it. It's a great company. And we did so, a Or I can send it them. a list and it tells me exactly how to walk. That would be so fast. Follow the light. Actually, we, we work with a, an AI company called Vernique that does that. That's a shopping assistant. So you say, could you please show me a gluten-free, uh, low-cost snack for my six-year-old? Oh, and make it make it regenerative. And the, the large language model behind it will listen to that. It'll find the right product. It knows where it is in the store, and they'll tell you where to walk. Um, so all wow. of that okay, is coming. Okay. Sorry, but, but let's go back to, okay, yeah. so, to the, so, the press release. Um, in this press release, we basically showed the results of some trials in a small store, not particularly, you know, uh, it's not massive, it's not a tiny store in London, um, in Belsize Park. And we put little labels on it to help shoppers find the more uh, sustainable foods, the more regenerative foods. And um, they say little things like climate friendly or fair labor. Right. Not a big, I'm not trying to teach people about the spectrums. Right. I'm just trying to give them so that they can make a decision off of. And incredible. And results. On the whole aisle, you could do the full spectrum <laughs> with colors and stuff, but that's, that's different. Anyway, line up incredible the bad, results. The bad foods that want to, no, you can't do that. It actually doesn't work. I'll just say that it doesn't work to do negative ratings. It really works to do a small number of the most successful products and then help people find them. But telling people that 70% of their food sucks just, you know, doesn't go over well. Um, retailers don't like it either. Makes them depressed. So in this, in this example, we saw significant lifts, 25 to 45% lifts in sales of the products that were fair labor or climate friendly or water smart. Right. And it was a short trial, but it mirrors what we've seen every trial we've ever done. Wow. We do this positives only rating system using how good's data. It's an immense, right? We're crunching a hundred thousand data points for every product essentially that we're doing it for, but we put it into two words that are really simple to understand and the sales go up. So this is being mirrored. McKinsey put out a report on this earlier this year. It mirrors the, the, um, the results from NYU and IRI and the work that they've done. So like consumers are heading in this direction, especially millennials and Gen Z. They want better food. Impact matters. They're willing to pay for it. Is this a blanket statement across the whole world? Maybe not. There's some differences. We're going to see in Dubai, we're doing some really exciting uh, trials with a a retailer there where we'll get to see a little bit in a a different cultural context. um, Does the same thing happen? But by and large, I would say, yes, now it is different than five years ago. You can go in this direction and expect greater benefit for the earth and greater benefit for your financial bottom line. Even as we're battling in many places, inflation and organic is actually being hurt in some places. So that's an interesting um, moment or an interesting um, an interesting moment in time. Like they see for the first time growth numbers of organic and not there or actually reducing in some places specific um, specific products, etc. But there's, yeah, it, it doesn't didn't go through the sky or to the sky as uh, as it always went. But these these kind of data um, show very interesting early results. So I want to thank you so much for kicking us off here for giving us a look into your daily life. First of all, in your daily work, in your mind, and um, that we should definitely use the continuum as an intro. But then there are many more layers and many more levels, and it's a three D world we live in. So let's not get stuck in 2D 
Um, but let's uh, let's make it visual and make sure we um, move on in your own context and with your own speed and whatever it takes and whatever is necessary. So thank you so much, Ethan. Great, and I'd say last point. Yes, you're on speed, but let's go fast. Um, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of levels we got to walk up, a lot of earth and you know humans to work with towards regeneration. So um, come on, let's let's go, let's get going.